You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience, the sovereign conservative review still housed under Blaze Media. Yes, we do have sovereignty here. I cannot say the same about our nation. But it's great to be back with you on this Thursday morning, January 10th. And I'll tell you, I've actually thoroughly been enjoying myself this week. Yes, hell has frozen over. I'm actually in a good mood. Well, until last night. Um, and I'll explain all this, why this was a good week, why it still should be a good week, but why, of course, we can't have nice things and all good things must, must come to an end. And you know, what's funny is I'm talking, Mitch McConnell is on C-SPAN. He's on the Senate floor giving a presentation about the border wall. I mean, if nothing else, it's really beautiful. If you understand the emotion and time and intellect I put into this issue for 15 years, um, it's nice to finally see Republicans at some level, not as robust as we would want, but at least talking about this issue of the border. This was the entire point to harness a national debate over something that if people would know about it, it's a 90-10 issue. This is why the media was so obsessed with blocking Trump. You see a lot of them are saying his speech should come with a Surgeon General's warning. It's dangerous. They're right, it is. That bully pulpit is very powerful. He needs to use it more. He needs to follow up on it. It really made a difference. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Jared Kushner and Lindsey Graham trying to sabotage us right when we're starting to win this. But I wanted to say that this is really the first time I've been happy that at least at a presidential level, you see what a difference a presidential speech gives. We're having a national dialogue about this. And that's why I just enjoyed the work I I did this week. I had the privilege of speaking with several border agents, DA agents, ICE agents, people like Jason, Texas DPS, a couple of border sheriffs in Arizona, trying to have calls into some in, in Texas, just getting a flavor for what's going on. And I'm thinking like, First of all, a couple of ideas have germinated in my mind just from doing this. And um, it's just that this is the part of my work I really enjoy. Now, what we do with this is, is, is another story, but at least to, to be working on issues like this. And it feels so good to finally not be in the wilderness. For two years, I was screaming like, Hey, this is going on. We need to do this. And it was all Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. Finally, when Trump actually takes the, grabs the bull by the horns, demonstrates leadership and discusses this issue in a sustained manner, well, all the followers, which is what the conservative movement is, we don't have any leaders, they're all talking about this. And that's a good thing. And that's why the media is trying to squelch every last thing 
And we're going to continue debunking their stuff today as we did on Tuesday. And I, I want to put out a show yesterday. I just don't have time. That's the problem. Um, I really want to try to you know, steal away a couple minutes to, to put out a show, but it's, it's very difficult. So you know, may, maybe, maybe I'll have to do shorter versions in the future some days just to at least you know give you guys some updates. Now there's tons of stuff going on with healthcare votes, different things going on in the house. It's not really going anywhere so I just don't feel a need to address it now. This is the emergency issue for so many reasons. So for obvious reasons we're going to focus on this. But before we get started, I just want to note that I mentioned it to my buddy uh Derek Maltz, former SOD head of DA. This is a guy that absolutely needs to be in a top position in in DA, ICE, or DHS in general. But I I said to him, I said, you know, after having all these conversations, I was thinking, nobody is putting this out. You know, for example, I I spoke to a big field director. He's called a SAC, a special agent in charge of a given area for DEA. This is a major area of the country and you know he was like you know when i talked talk to him about the the low level offender business and the first step back he said i cannot remember the last time that someone we arrested for drug trafficking at a primary level which is pretty much what they do they don't deal with low level people anymore i can't remember the last time I didn't, it, it, the guy wasn't a Mexican or a Colombian. You know, I was like, if any of these politicians would only know that. And we don't have conservative media putting this out. So the thought crossed my mind. And, and again, this ties into my whole thing of field hearings, citizens task forces. We don't have money to put together think tanks. But most of these guys have day jobs. It wouldn't take much if you would get a group of retired people from all sorts of state and federal agencies that have stories to tell, know the truth, understand the dysfunctional nature of these federal agencies and what they're doing wrong, what we need to do, hold field hearings, but also like create an ad hoc organization where you do PR, you put out papers. You know what I mean? Like uh, Just do it on the side. I was like, hell, I'll, I'll coordinate with you guys. Let's Let's do this. It's it's one of the many dreams I have, but particular particularly on law and order, national security, immigration, all this stuff. I really think there's there's a lot of people that have good stuff to say. And um, again, if we would have a sustained, saturated level of unified Republican narrative on this issue, it would realign American politics. It just would. And by the way, this is why I think Trump needs to – the type of people I'm talking to, and some of them he's talking to too, he needs to have live streaming of these roundtables. He did one in uh, Long Island a while back about MS-13, but he needs to go around the country to all these hot spots and hold these roundtables, live stream it, stream it pump it up. I mean, he knows how to do that. He's a PR master. That's not hard. That he doesn't need help with. He does it himself. He needs the policy work. Live stream it for the American people to see. Have these sheriffs. 
have these federal agents, Texas DPS, talk about what's going on. How do I know it's working? How do I know it's working? Well, I'll tell you. There's a Politico article that we're going to link to if you haven't seen it. It is a must-read. It quotes Abigail Spanberger. She's the Democrat that defeated Dave Bratt. So these are the districts that Democrats need. These are the majority maker districts. They need them to hold the House. And she was she spoke up at this Democrat retreat, and she was like, we're getting clobbered. Now you think, well, maybe she means her constituents. You know, she's in Virginia. They're complaining about the government shutdown. No, they're saying, why aren't you funding border security? We've been screaming this for 15 years. If you actually pick a fight, we always assume they're going to win because we don't fight and message our stuff. The president gives one address and it's a game changer. I know we're right about this. Now, of course, with every victory in sight must come a Republican effort to snatch defeat from the jaws of, of, of victory every single time. They can't control themselves. So, so just when Democrats are getting very nervous that Trump's not going to blink. And by the way, they're also getting blamed for the shutdown. Now, I, I mentioned this before. See, part of the problem Republicans had before is that they controlled all three branches. But because they're so pathetic, you know, they'd have a shutdown. So the American people are like, well, how are you having a shutdown when you control all three branches? But now it's like, well, Nancy Pelosi is holding it up. So that we have our cake and eat it too. They get blamed for the border and for the shutdown. But instead, Senate Republicans, a whole bunch of them, one Senate office, you know, called me last night. They were like, this is a big problem. Jared Kushner has been pushing DACA amnesty for a long time. Now, I can't think of anything more offensive than promoting the very amnesty that caused this border invasion, that caused the greatest empowerment of the cartels ever, that caused the worst drug crisis ever, that caused the worst gang crisis ever, unleashed a number of criminal aliens on us. Because again, the dreamers, not all of them, but among that demographic is the worst demographic, not the best demographic of illegal immigrants. It's young, predominantly males from the most violent countries. It doesn't take a genius to figure out those are the ones you're attracting. So they're pushing a deal. Kushner met in Lindsey Graham's office with Lamar Alexander, Rob Portman, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, I'm I'm forgetting one or two. You'll see it in the article. It's I, I believe it's in um in uh th- this this was CNN, not Politico, but a couple a couple of others reported on it. By the way, um, so anyway, they are pushing a deal of five point seven billion in border funding in exchange for a massive dream amnesty and another amnesty for 400,000 illegal aliens that illegally got TPS status and Trump just canceled it. It's a temporary protected status. People, again, for those of you who don't know, aren't familiar with TPS, temporary protected status. 
it's for people that happen to be vacationing in Disney World from a foreign country. I'm just giving an example. They're here legally on a visa or something, and a hurricane and earthquake happens in their country, and they temporarily cannot return. That's what it was created for. Instead, what happened was you had a bunch of people that came here, nothing to do with anything. They're they're the same illegal aliens like all illegal aliens. There's no TPS illegals. They're regular illegals. It happened to be in those countries at some point, years after they came here illegally, you had Hurricane Mitch in Central America in 1999. So, look, oh, now we'll apply for status. We can't return. And really, that they came here illegally. They're ineligible for it. Violation of statute in so many ways, aside from the fact that even if you are eligible, it's only for six months. And we're going on almost 20 years. So that's that amnesty. And then a whole array of H-2B slave worker visas. H-2B is the non-agricultural slave labor. H-2A is the um, agricultural slave labor. And the Republicans want this as an end to itself. It's not just a concession to the Democrats. Not just a concession. They want this. Now, and by the way, that's the linchpin to this whole issue. It's the slave labor. I mean, that, that's what's driving it. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's not about walls. It's not about fancy diplomacy. It's not about some policy innovation even. You cannot have organized crime unless the politicians want it. Darn it, here my son did this to me again with um, <laughs> putting my, uh, where is this, my phone. Yeah, I just had to turn off the ringer. He comes in every day and messes with it. I got to get a lock on my office. Um, sorry about that. But, um, we don't make illegal immigration illegal. It's that simple. It's the magnets. They wouldn't come if we didn't have these stupid magnets. Okay? They just wouldn't come. It's not about the wall. They're talking about, oh, well, they could dig tunnels. They could come here. They could overstay their visa. That's true. That's exactly what I want to talk about that in a minute. Because if you couldn't get a job... And you couldn't get welfare, you couldn't get education, and most importantly, you couldn't get citizenship for your kid. You couldn't get identity. They, they can't be here. They wouldn't come. We invite them. Don't come illegally. But if somehow you got into the country, we're actually going to force our officials to give you status. Well, then they're going to come. I've been told by law enforcement, and this is with drugs, this is with everything. Random street crime that's hard to detect is hard to stop. Organized, orchestrated crime is easy to detect. It's easy to stop. It could only occur if the politicians want it to happen. They want illegal immigration. We know that. All the interests want it. So we invite it. You could shut it off in a second. A lot of people forget the Trump effect. In the first few months of his presidency, nothing changed. He didn't change anything. But the mere perception he would shut it down, the border sheriffs will tell you, in their entire 30-year careers, they never saw anything like it. It's slow to a trickle. They won't come. So that's that's the issue here. They will not come if, if, if uh, you don't have the magnet. But what if you do have the magnet? 
What if not only do you keep all the magnets, but you double down on them and actually codify a formal amnesty? So they already started out, the border wall was supposed to be $25 billion. They're starting out from $5 billion negotiation. What we really needed more than the wall, again, Trump slowed it down without the wall. It went up again, and it went up in the most unprecedented way with family units because of the UAC loophole, the asylum loophole, the courts, and sanctuary cities. Those four are the most imminent problems. That's this iteration of emergency are those four issues. There's the looming things. Again, Plyler v. Doe, birthright citizenship, um, E-Verify. I mean, all this stuff that needs to be done, if you'd only do a few of those, it would dry up. But if you not only don't do those and you just get enough funding to take a while to build pieces of wall, but not everywhere where you need the wall, and then you have an immediate amnesty, here's what's going to happen. So first of all, Jason Jones tells me that already the cartels are telling their clients that you better go while the going's good before they build a wall. You know, Trump's going to clamp down on something. So this is why you have the rush right now. Could you imagine if you both promise an am- official amnesty, but then say the wall is going to start to be built? That's a radioactive mix. It's the worst thing you could do. Because then it's going to create a massive rush like we've never seen shutting down our border. What he always says, and this is the lesson of the past, you can't half-ass border security. Take that to the bank because the cartels create infrastructure to get around what you're doing. You have to put it every place where you need the wall. But certainly if you have the, the amnesty, amnesty is a bigger problem. The magnets are a bigger problem than, than the border wall is a solution. We don't really need a wall. I mean, I, I spoke to so many um, so many people yesterday, border sheriffs, and they, they all said the wall, it has its role, but it's not the issue. We need to demagnetize our country. We need to respect our own border, recognize our border, recognize our sovereignty. A border wall can't help a thousand lawsuits. So this is the other thing. Right now, if you don't address the asylum and courts, they are saying that everyone has a right to come here. They could get standing through third-party organizations to sue from outside our border. Literally, you're seeing that with the caravans. This is quite literally what's happening now. They'll all come to the points of entry. The border data already shows more and more are coming to the points of entry. That the wall, see, a lot of people are confused about the wall. The wall is a phenomenal force multiplier if they don't want to meet you, if they don't want to meet an agent, if they want to come in uninterdicted. It's very hard with a long border wall that's built well to come in uninterdicted. But if our court system and our body politic creates a system whereby you could come and shout, I have a credible fear, and you're here to go, and we catch and release. That's what's happening now. A, they're going to come to the points of entry. B, a number of people from all over the world, maybe not so much Central Americans, are going to come to the northern border. You have the Romanian gypsies are doing that now. Other people, the northern border is heating up. Because, again, it's not a border issue. It's a a suicide of a nation issue. It's a self-immolation issue. 
That needs to end. The Kushner plan would would magnify that. They'll come to the points of entry, and frankly, I believe if we promise amnesty, if you get on the other side, but say we're going to build a wall, but then don't fix the courts and asylum and UAC, the UACs and family units, the cartels will create an industry to give them the infrastructure to get over it. When the Democrats say we could dig tunnels, we could go over it, they're not fully wrong. They're ultimately wrong. They're, they're, they're right in a certain way, not in the way they mean it. They're right in a way that proves our point even more. That it's the magnets, that they are the problems. They're policies. It's a policy problem. It's not a funding problem. It's a policy problem. This is what, what nobody, even on the right, explains to people. When, when these guys – look, to say you could get over a border wall is nonsensical because if we had a country where we would prosecute you every time you take a kid here, we'll, dot, we'll book you and throw you out immediately and bar you for life from ever coming here, you're not going to want to get caught. And frankly, if we didn't have the 25 or so magnets, you wouldn't want to come here to begin with. Okay, you just wouldn't come. But if we have the magnets and then we promise an amnesty on the other side of it, well, guess what? Then they don't mind getting caught. They'll sit on, they'll hang off the top of the the fence. They're already doing that with the double layer, triple layer fence in um, Yuma. They're coming over the Yuma fence. Some of them are breaking bones. This pregnant woman came over one of them. That was a San Diego fence. It's 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 less substantial. It's a mat fence there, but you know they'll hang off and say you you got to get me border agent. That's the dichotomy. A border wall w- works well if you have a border and you enforce it. So then people won't want to get caught, and a border wall really, really, really slows them down. But if they if they don't mind spending 24 hours doing it out in the open because I could just sue in a court, they'll do it. That, they'll come to points of entry. Whatever they need to do, they'll do. That That's what people don't understand. And then, like with every amnesty, every single amnesty, you see what the courts are doing to enforcement statutes. The courts are turning enforcement into amnesty. So certainly if you write an amnesty into law, albeit with certain criterion, prima facie, there's no way of knowing who is eligible. Everyone's going to assert, I'm a dreamer. Every deportation will be litigating court. This is why Chris Crane... Last year, the head uh, said um, he's the head of uh, the ICE union that these amnesties will completely shut down interior enforcement, which will further create a magnet. And that's another thing. The other 50 percent of illegal immigration, they'll come on tourist visas and overstay their visas if you announce an amnesty. And this is even if you had an impervious wall, which, you know, it's going to take a while. It's only going to be a few billion dollars. It's not going to be the whole thing. It is such a racket. But you have to understand, it's dangerous for two reasons. Because you guys know this from the 
jailbreak debate. Trump promised a few months before to give these people the death penalty. And, he, and Jared got him to flip on that. Jared is very dangerous. But everyone knows this is near and dear to Trump's heart. He badly wants a wall. He wants the talking point to say he has a wall. And we could picture him starting negotiations from here. Now, Democrats aren't stupid. Democrats aren't going to embrace this. They're going to say, I I love the way the Democrats act. When you give them 95% of what they want, they're like, you bigot, not good enough. And that's a good negotiation tactic. They're good at what they do. But then they perk up. They're not stupid. They know that you agreed to their thing before we they agreed to our thing so they'll just negotiate you down even from there this is the opening bit this is very dangerous i shouldn't have to divert attention i've been doing this since the 2006 amnesty battle every time we want to have a debate over what's good for americans and stopping illegal immigration we always have to divert our resources rather than trying to score a touchdown from preventing an interception. It all becomes about amnesty. So this this has got to stop. Now, this is tied in. To understand these fundamentals, it's tied in to another point I wanted to make. All the talking points that the media is putting out, lying to people about, oh, there's no emergency. So there's a lot of of arguments they're giving, and I want to go through them with some of the tools we've we've given you. So to understand what's going on, first of all, just brief history. If you don't understand this, you can't appreciate, you cannot appreciate what is going on now and what needs to be done. Nobody's doing a good job doing this. Yesterday, I'm going to link to this. I wrote an article, Six Reasons, answering the question of why now. Why now? Why is the border a bigger emergency now than ever? I've spoken about this a lot. I spoke a lot about it earlier this week. I've written a lot of articles, but I put it together, one cogent piece, six reasons. Why now? Even though the media is saying, well, what do you mean? We've had, there's been plenty of years in the past where we had more border incursions. And the way you have to understand that is this. Qualitatively and quantitatively, the nature of the border migration we've had in the 90s and first decade of the 2000s is different than what the invasion we had from DACA, asylum expansion, all the things Obama did in 2012, which spawned the migration from 2014, the UACs, and then under Trump, the family units because of the courts. Back then, we didn't have a retarded political infrastructure. If you remember, Dianne Feinstein and Barbara Boxer said they opposed legal immigration. Then it was truly a resource problem. The the problem was beginning again after the 86 amnesty. It was starting to fill up again. The political class didn't want to pay attention to it. So it was a resource problem. So we had large numbers of Mexicans. It was Mexicans, not OTMs. It was all Mexicans coming over. And that was it. So we had a problem interdicting them. We didn't have enough border patrol. We didn't have enough fencing. Um, it was a resource thing. They wanted to not get detected. So it wasn't a crisis of the Border Patrol being tied up. We just didn't have enough of them. But they uniformly kind of caught them. You know, and uniformly didn't catch them. But what happened was when we did catch them, a lot of people asked me this question like, Daniel, 
Why do we need a thousand lawsuits per every single illegal? Why shouldn't they be thrown out immediately? That's what used to happen. There's one factor bullet point in this piece I didn't mention on the Tuesday show, and I want to reiterate this, the why now. Not just qualitatively, not just with the drugs and the cartels and the dangers and the children, but even quantitatively on net, this is a bigger invasion than even the worst periods when we had over 1 million apprehensions. We're on pace for about 700,000 this year. It's true that they appre- that you know um, we had over a million apprehensions. But you know what else we had? We had those years. We had over a million returns. These are not removals. That's a longer process from the interior. Returns. It took a matter of hours. We just kicked them over to the other side. Now, some of them came back again. We, do, we, we removed them. We returned them again. We didn't have the lawfare we have today. Do you know that the returns over the last couple of years average between 100,000 and 200,000 from over a million? So when they say, oh, we had so many more people coming in, but we deported so many more. They deported again, that's a term of art. It's not really deported. They're called returns. We did returns. We didn't have to suffer for years, it takes the, – the, the amount of flow we, – we, it takes a year to deport the flow of three days' worth of illegals now. So if you look on net over the course of a year, more illegals are successfully permanently embedding themselves in our society, leeching off of our culture, leeching off of our schools, doing more crime than ever. And that's part of partly why we have a bigger crime gang and drug Angle, not just because of the diversion of them getting in, but the migrants themselves, many of them are problematic. Back then, it was, it was kind of like catch, you know, we would catch them to come back, but we'd get rid of them. They're allowed to set up shop here. We're not getting rid of them. Even the worst criminal aliens, you could act someone to death. It takes forever to report to deport that guy. Every single deportation. That's the problem we have now. It's a different era of migration. It's a different type. It's from Central America, but also increasingly from all over the world. It's, it's this bogus asylums where they say credible fear. They surrender themselves. They get released and they stay. That's the crisis and the courts. So qualitatively, Yes but certainly quantitatively as well. This is a worse border invasion than we've ever dealt with. Let me just give you the numbers. According to DHS, only 1.1% of non-Mexican family units have been repatriated. Only 1.8% of non-Mexican UACs have been repatriated. So, 31,754 UACs were apprehended in fiscal year 2017. 98.2% remain in the country. This is not, not, not FY 2018, which ended a couple months ago. FY 2017, a year before that, 98.2% remain in the country. 
That, that's the issue. So the question is, what were the number of illegals per year that were successfully permanently embedding themselves into our society in 1996, in 2004, versus now? It's hard to quantify an exact number, but it's clearly more now, even in numbers. Even in numbers. That's the issue here. That's the emergency. We are being sucked dry. And they're entitled to more benefits than ever, more legal protections than ever. This is the problem. That, that it's, not a, it's not a border issue even. It's a retarded issue. I'm sorry if people are offended by that word. I don't know what else to say. The previous decades, it was a border issue. So yeah, you build the wall and then you know you have some other force multiplying things and you're good to go. Because we weren't going to tolerate it once you get in. Now we we celebrate you if you come in. This is why you're not going to hear this elsewhere. This is why the wall for amnesty, especially a partial wall, is the worst toxic mix of a deal you could ever get. It's worse than nothing. It needs to be stopped immediately. But now that you have these themes, I want to debunk some of the insane stuff the media is saying. And by the way, I'm just seeing this now, you know, before I get more distracted, just before we get into the media narrative. I I see a lot of people talking about roads and more immigration judges. (sighs) We can't litigate our way out of this. We don't. It's not more immigration judges. This is what they're missing. It's like. You know, there was a 2,000% increase in asylum. Well, gee, what happened in the world? No, no, there's nothing. It's not asylum. It's an invasion. Like You, you stop being like Amelia Bedelia. You, you, we can't do this. Oh, there, there's, there's a lot more uh, asylum requests. We, also, we, we need to hire more immigration judges. You got to stop this. It's not immigration judges. We're beyond that. That's what I'm saying. We're beyond all of this, all of the old stuff, the wall, the judges, the more infrastructure. Well, we could talk about that. I don't mind doing it, pay for it, whatever. But you got to stop the man. More than a border wall, we need a border. And it doesn't cost anything. It's a policy problem. You have to understand the changing dynamics of the border flow, like Jason told us this week. Beautiful show we did with him. Our politicians and even the law enforcement agencies, they don't update themselves to the quantum leaps that those that seek us harm and seek to undermine our country have have, uh, harnessed in recent years. It's a very different type of challenge we face today in Western civilization. It's not a technical problem. It's not a logistical problem. If I tell you, you know, please come up with a strategy to make me healthy again. Well, well, okay, what's wrong with you? Well, you see, I have this habit where I slit my wrist. Well, don't slit your wrist. Okay, I, that, that, that's the solution. There really doesn't take much innovation. Because I'm telling you, you know, well, let me, let me, uh, let me let me tie this all into this. I, I keep meaning to get to it. So 
One of the more mentally ill arguments the media is putting out is, um, and you see how potent it is when Trump discusses the drug crisis. The media cannot allow that to come out. So the media is saying, what do you mean the wall won't work? The, the wall will stop it. Most of this stuff comes in the points of entry. It's not going to make a difference. So there's three reasons why that's wrong. One of them exposes their entire philosophy and ties back into the nature of why the wall is not the main point. But before we get to that, isn't it interesting that at least the media finally admits it's coming from the Mexican cartels? Okay, so say it's the points of entry, but okay, so it's not the doctors. Okay, so it's not, you know, people buying it from China. I mean, that happens in very, very small quantities, but it's the cartels from Mexico getting the fentanyl from China. Everything else they grow, um, well, the meth, um, obviously marijuana, heroin, they all grow in Mexico. Cocaine, they contract with FARC because you can only grow it in the Andes. And um, the fentanyl, a lot of the, a lot of it, they are actually manufacturing in Mexico now, but still the pure blends are still from China, I'm told. But that's where they get it from. So I'm glad they finally admitted that. But here's three reasons you need to understand, because you're going to hear that talking point a lot. They're coming from the fact that most of the seizure data, the the amount we, we apprehend individuals, we seize drugs. So we track that. CBP tracks that. The overwhelming majority is apprehended, is seized, not by the Border Patrol, but by the field offices. These are the blue shirts. They're called the blue shirts. The CBP guys, it's not Border Patrol that patrols between the points of entry. These are um, the CBP agents that are at the checkpoints. Now, it's a very clever talking point, and it's very cleverly misleading if you understand what's going on. Here's reason number one. Normally, most in most data points and tracking trends, they'd be right. If I go fishing, so I don't know how many fish are in that pond, in that ocean. But I typically could say, well, if I'm catching more fish, that means that there's more fish around. If I'm catching fewer fish, that means that there's fewer fish around in general. That's typically what happens. In this case, it's not true. Keep in mind, we we don't know that, oh, most of the drugs comes in at points of entry, not between between the points of entry. No, no such fact exists. It's we seize more stuff at the points of entry. But there's a reason for that. Because it's a lot easier to catch a point of entry. You don't have a 50-mile wide expanse with many areas with literally nothing there where you could just come over and where you have a military-style operation with lookouts and everything and a whole infrastructure in place to not get interdicted. There's a reason we're not catching the drugs. Because we're not catching them. All the border sheriffs tell me it's it's coming in the because they know the territory. They like they're like some of it could be through the points of entry, but it's like no, 
Meaning, I don't, we don't, there's no way to prove this. We don't have numbers, but just to give you an idea, it's likely that 95 to 98% of the drugs that come in between the points of entry, we don't seize. And let's just say 50, 60, 70% of what comes in at the points of entry, we do seize. Because you go through a narrow lane where you have to go through it and you absolutely get inspected for that. Now, there's ways to not get caught. There are innovative ways of hiding it. But generally, we do catch a lot of it. I mean, it's it's basic logic. These people are just, um, you know, out of control. These people are just out of control in their logic. So that's number one. That's if I didn't know anything else. It's very likely that, ironically, even though seizures are higher at the points of entry, the actual drugs coming in are much more between the points of entry because we're catching almost none of it. But there's a second point that piggybacks on that, a more deliberate point. And you know this very well because I've said it a hundred times. This wave of iteration is even more dangerous. Why is it that we have an explosion of drugs in our community? No one could deny, starting in 2014, more than ever, more meth than ever. Meth is, by the way, more so than heroin. Meth is the newest trend at the border. Is it? Well, because they're successfully getting more at the points of entry, that's very unlikely, not in such large numbers. In other words, the the technology of their smuggling and the technology of our agents at the points of entry to detect it, that didn't suddenly change in 2014. And while the flow of those coming in at the points of entry are a little bit more, it's the same controlled environment that it always was. What has dramatically changed is between the points of entry. It's that we have Central Americans being orchestrated by the cartels to come over in hundreds at a time. See, that's what never happened before. Even when we had 1.5 million in one year, by definition, they they did not want to be caught, so they wouldn't come in groups. They shoved them at the agents. They shut them down, and that's when they bring in the drugs. That is the border. That is the drug crisis in a nutshell. Nothing about the trends and the timing and the nature of the points of entry could explain that. We're just not catching anything, and it's deliberate. It speaks to the successful model of the cartels. If I were them, logically, I have a way of tying up the agents with endless bogus asylees while making money off of them, by the way, so I could produce more drugs. I mean, it's a beautiful system they have going in place. And then I could just get in whatever I want or come up with this crazy innovation to get small quantities at a time through points of entry. Much more is going to be there. It speaks that we're not interdicting it. Then finally, there's the third point. And this ties into the broad thing we're speaking about, why a wall for amnesty is bad, why it's about the magnets, which is, yes, you're right. You're right. There's another half of this equation to the wall. And that's called interior enforcement, meaning they are actually explaining our rationale. I said this a hundred times. Sure, you could get drugs. There's no way we could stop all drugs from coming into the country. Neither is that the goal. 
to get it in one time, that's that's relatively easy. But to operate a lucrative network business model of drug trafficking for the cartels in perpetuity, undetected in our cities, is impossible unless we let it go on. Organized crime could only persist if it is being protected. That's the sanctuary cities. See, this is what my buddies in ICE and DEA in New England will tell you. 100% of the drug problem they have there is from the Dominican traffickers. Now, a lot of the Dominicans themselves, so it's, it's not just the contraband, it's the people too, more so than the Central Americans, the Dominicans, they get these fake Puerto Rican ideas and they fly to Logan Airport. They don't come through the border. That's where interior enforcement is. They told me in a matter of one month, they could wipe it out, their networks, if they didn't have the problems with the sanctuaries. And if you had local law enforcement downright working with them in cooperation. And then if you take away the magnet of identity theft and clamp down on that, that's the mother's milk of the Dominican trafficking there. It's identity theft. Jessica Vaughn has been yelping about that because she lives in Massachusetts for, for years. That's the point. So like the, all their, the wall is important in what it does, but every time they speak to the limitations, it's a self-indictment of their policies. You're right. It's even worse than you're saying. It's even worse than the wall. They're like, you know, they're going to build tunnels. You know what? The Democrats aren't joshing. Border sheriffs tell me that's a big problem, particularly in Arizona. Sinaloa has a lot of tunnels. Again, interior enforcement. Get rid of the magnets. <laughs> Meaning Pelosi, by talking about the p- tunnels, it's a self-indictment because she's saying the problem is even more threatening than that. Really? We have like his style tunnel building on our border and you don't give a darn about it? All the more so... We need to cut off the magnets, interior enforcement. And yes, more important than the wall, we need the military at our border. But not just like putting up wire and supporting. We need them in military operations, blowing up tunnels, going on the other side. We need an operation finally against the cartels. I was speaking with, uh, again, a lot of these agents yesterday, and they were reminiscing about Zapata. He was the ICE agent, um, the ICE intel guy. So ICE has ERO, Enforcement and Remo- Removal Office. That's the main ICE. But then there's HSI, the relatively new one. That's the intel counterterrorism, um, counter-criminal uh, division. Two ICE agents were traveling in a car on a dangerous highway. And it's still very dubious who sent them, why they were sent, why they were traveling down a road that was known to be controlled by the Zetas. And Zetas forced them off the road and um, machine gunned them. But one guy managed to survive. Zapata was killed. And there's a lot of raw stuff going on there. It was in 2011, and Obama administration wanted to do nothing about it. And ICE was so broken then because Obama took it over that they didn't care about their own agents. And it was actually, I I heard yesterday for the first time, it was actually DEA that really was pissed 
because they're scared because they have more agents than anyone in Mexico. And by the way, there's a whole controversy there because DA agents in every country carry weapons in Mexico because the sensitivity of the 1800s and the sovereignty, they don't carry it. That needs to change. It's time we tell the Mexican government we are bringing the military down there. And then, by the way, as I said, for sure, based on the Emergencies Act statute, 100%, if it's a military operation, nobody could argue that you could redirect DOD contracts, tens of thousands, tens of billions unspent, by the way, to a border wall. See, ultimately, what we need to do is, if I were president, again, you cut off all the magnets, ramp up interior enforcement, sent... Um, run millions of dollars of Spanish language ads in these countries. The era of coming is over. Birthright citizenship is over with. You will be deported immediately. Um, And in fact, if you're caught bringing a kid, we're going to prosecute you. They won't come. (laughs) They won't come. So before, I mean, even a military invasion, let's just try to not, again, don't split your wrist. Now, ultimately, you know, again, the cartel's, are in, are multifaceted, and it's not just drugs and human trafficking. Ultimately, we need to deal with that. But I think, let's see what the world looks like without that, see what the cartels do. But I think it's not, it's not the wall, even. We need a buffer zone. The media makes it seem like, oh, you're, you're Daniel, yeah, because you're a white supremacist. You hate Mexicans. You media vermin, you hate Mexicans. 30,000 Mexicans die every year from this. General Kelly himself said at a hearing um, at the beginning of Trump's presidency, you know, for our drug addiction and our amnesty addiction and cheap labor addiction, they pay for it in blood. Okay? Amnesty is what gets these people killed because it created, I, I, I spoke about this on Mark Levin's show last night, the turf war over the plazas Control of the plazas, because you control the human smuggling because of amnesty and DACA. DACA killed thousands of Mexicans. You could take that to the bank. Makes me sick, these people. We need a military operation there. If you are someone who believes we need to be in any of the other 140 countries we're in, then you are intellectually bankrupt if you don't agree by a factor of 10,000 that we then needed them in Mexico. And it's not just because of the looming threat of Middle Easterners coming in. I find it offensive, as much as I'm a hawk on Islamic terror, that that's the only national security threat. That somehow, because the Zetas and Alisco and Sinaloa are Hispanic, somehow they can't be a national security threat. They are every bit of a threat to our country and the interior of our country, orchestrating stuff inside our cities that anything Islamic terrorists are doing. And believe me, I believe that that's a big threat. That's a whole other issue. That's a visa issue. That's a Muslim Brotherhood issue. That's enforcing our, our subversion statutes against these imams. It's an FBI issue. And by the way, you know the amazing thing? Every um, 
state, local, or federal law enforcement I speak to that's involved in anything that's related to security, counterterrorism, intel, they all unanimously point the finger at the FBI. That is the dirty rat. It is broken. It needs to be burned to the ground and rebuilt. Like DEA is a pretty good agency. Now, they have bad leadership, and they're sometimes given stupid things to do to clamp down on doctors, be a bunch of Nazis with them. But these are very patriotic people, very talented people. And because drugs is the honeypot of all criminality and terrorism, they have so, and, and because we've spent so much money on them and they have agents in like 85 countries, they have a treasure trove of data and intel that if we didn't have a dysfunctional FBI and they work together, Derek Maltz tells me this all the time. He believes that DA could have stopped the Boston bombing because the Tsarnaevs were into heroin and they knew that. And But Mueller and Comey at DOJ dropped the, dropped the ball on that. This is the broader discussion you will not hear from all these a-holes, all these clowns, all of them. You know, I'm very proud of the work we have done over the last number of years here. You're starting to see all of our work coming together. You know, the little areas we can make make a difference, drive the narrative. It's all because you tune in. Otherwise, I'd be a nobody. Still, I am kind of a nobody, but, you know, <laughs> have some influence. <clears throat> all because there are people that actually care. And you're seeing how all my criticisms of Trump and the administration were right based on what he's doing right now. I always said the vicious problem we had over the last two years is that the conservative movement and the conservative media and Republicans are doped up, broken, crisis of values, crisis of intellect. They won't lead unless Trump leads. A lot will still undermine him when he does. But then Trump often won't lead if someone doesn't lead him. And that was the whole problem. And you're seeing that now. You're seeing what a difference it makes. Finally, he said he realized, like, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a total loser if I don't fight now. I wish he would have done it earlier. Veto and bully pulpit. He finally did it. Now I I wish he would step it up more on the bully pulpit. But look, as we're talking, the House GOP Twitter feed, they just tweeted out. They were driving home from Disneyland with their six-year-old son when their car was struck by a drunk driver. Their son Lennox now suffers permanent brain damage. The perpetrator, an illegal immigrant who'd been deported 15 times. Ingrid Lake's story. I never saw in my life House Republicans out of their, you know, <coughs> the official uh, GOP conference uh, media organs actually talking about this. So <coughs> this is progress. There's too many undermining. There's too many working out. There's too many that aren't strong enough. We need some of the bigger players like Cotton and and uh, and um, Cruz. And look, Mike Lee claims to be good on this issue, even though it's inextricably linked to jailbreak, and he screwed us on that. So here now is your time to atone for that. I mean, speak up. They should be voting on all my proposals. Google twenty five no brainer immigration ideas. I don't even have e verify and birthright citizenship in there. They're like really easy ones. Force votes in the Senate on them. You could do that every day. 
harness it, take it to the next level. But again, we're seeing at least some sort of sustained narrative. And you see what works. Like I said on Steve Dace's show yesterday, the one time we had every center-right person working every angle of an issue to debunk everything the left was doing, to give a vision, and to be unified was with Kavanaugh. And it worked. We could do this on other issues, but certainly this issue is so potent, it could realign American politics. It's worth putting everything else aside. This is a a a, a lifelong battle. And, you know, I ju- I just saw now, and don't don't get the wrong idea from this, but I think it does tie in. It's very important. If you want to talk about the death of a civilization, there is a a Daily Mail article from UK. It's funny. The UK often has better stuff than about America than our own media. White women have lower fertility rates in every U.S. state. They quote from a new CDC report found that only two states had fertility rates above the level of population replacement, South Dakota and Utah. Nebraska, North Dakota, Idaho were kind of close. Alaska was kind of close. Um, and then obviously the Northeast and California were the worst in terms of the white population. You cannot have the mixture of a culture in decline, the inherent culture. And again, when I say inherent, that means blacks too. Of course, they're part of it and they're native. But this this report is only on whites, which have a bigger problem with this, and they're still the majority. So you know, again, I'm not. It's a, it's a problem across the board. And then have the only people who have kids are illegals, Muslims. You know that you you can't have continuity of a civilization like that. That's an inverted triangle. Now, obviously, solving immigration won't solve the first half of the thing that, you know, the natives don't have enough kids. And, you know, that's why a lot of the phony Republicans are like, well, we we need it or we're not replacing ourselves. But if we're not replacing ourselves, we're dead as a civilization anyway. The way to solve that is not by just replacing your civilization. That just magnifies the other problem. Doesn't solve it. It's the worst mix. This is the linchpin to culture. Not all of it, granted, but a lot of it. Fiscal solvency. Language. Crime. National security. Sovereignty. And Democrats having a permanent majority. Drugs. 70,000 people. And, and, And I'm telling you, you know, a lot of some of you might be like, I don't give a darn about that. But um, you have to revisit your views on drugs. This is not marijuana anymore. This is the most lethal stuff around, and they don't care. It's a it's it's a problem. They're they're putting it. They're putting fentanyl and Ritalin. They're putting it in in sleeping uh, pills, benzodiazepines. It's a major problem. You can't libertarian your way out of this. It's not like the old thing where maybe you could have a coherent libertarian approach to this. You need to go after this. You need to go after this. There's no shortcut. What what all the agents tell me is that simultaneously with them being empowered to bring in more drugs and drug runners... 
and have them operate undetected because of the sanctuary cities that all occurred around the same era of Obama's second term. But what else happened was that um, they refined the heroin in a way that you could snort it. So you don't, you no longer, evidently the needles was a big stigma. That was the back alley kind of trashy people. What really brought in all these kids from middle class, middle upper, upper class families is the fact that you didn't have to stick yourself with needles. That's what really became. And you see, it's a cultural thing. It has nothing to do with pain medication and pain. It's, it's young people. And, you know, I got three boys. They're young now. God knows what's going to happen. All they have, need to do is get with the wrong person one day. And it's so cheap and ubiquitous because of open borders and sanctuary cities. It's so pure. And there's no stigma anymore. They just snort it. But because of the lethality, you know, you'd be like, all right, your kid gets into trouble. He gets sick. You have that talk with him. He hits bottom and you get out of it. All it takes is one time and they're dead. That's a very that that is a national security problem. It's a poisoning problem. We have cartel. I mean, if you had ISIS here launching chemical warfare, would we go to war? Well, what the heck do you think carfentanil is? It's literally WMD. It's not even a drug issue. It's a WMD issue. All these issues come together. You know, another thing that I had an agent admit to me, and this is a DA agent, you know, you'd think otherwise, but he said, you know, all these bogus programs, they spend billions of dollars, these parasitic NGOs that lobby Congress for more addiction treatment. He admitted to, he said, it's worthless. Once you're roped into heroin, you're done. There is no, and this is part of the problem, by the way, it's worse than the 72,000 deaths. We have Narcan. Narcan is amazing. It literally revives the dead. But it's the worst combo. It revives them, but they're messed up for life, and it keeps happening. You want to talk about the cost of a wall? The cost of security? By their own admission. Forget about the cost of law enforcement. But just the cost of the loss of uh, to the economy, the White House Council of Economic Advisors put out analysis that the cost of the crisis in 2015, and it's worse now, was over $500 billion. It's everywhere. And this is where the libertarians are wrong. To go weak on the drug trafficking, weak on immigration, weak on the law and order side of it. But not... But, but the libertarians aren't succeeded in, in getting rid of these treatments. You don't have the econ- economic market correcting itself by all the people die, they learn their lesson, and then they never do it again. It's not true. We have the Narcan. We have the, all this stuff that's, that's subsidizing and putting on, on life support. It's the worst possible mix. Because now it's a, more available than ever because you, you, you got weak on the law enforcement side. Deadlier than ever. But we're not being libertarian on the nanny state side of it. This is the talking point no one will give to you. You're going to have it here. And that's the thing. We're going to look for ways to, we're going to bring on better guests. Send me your ideas who you want. 
My new email is dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. I think the old one might automatically go to that. Um, tweet me at rmconservative. We'll have a lot more tomorrow. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 